This podcast is made possible by supporters like you. Mahalo. And by Atlas Insurance Agency, Hawaii's largest professional agency, helping Hawaii navigate insurance solutions since 1929. More at atlasinsurance.com. Hello, my kako. Welcome to a new episode of What School You Went, where we start every conversation with this question. I'm Ron Mizutani, and today we're going to be talking about teen depression in Hawaii. It's a subject that can be very difficult to talk about, but one, the most effective way to address this feeling sometimes of desperation is talking about it and talking to someone you can trust. I want to welcome Dr. Mestisa Goss from Mental Health America Hawaii. Dr. Goss is a longtime friend of PBS Hawaii and our Hikino program and, and really the great relationship we've developed over the last couple of years uh, with Dr. Goss and her team. Welcome to the program. Welcome to what school you went. You know, I'm going to, I usually, this subject matter is very, can be very tense. Uh, But I'm going to ask you, what school did you go to? What school you went? So I actually went to Dade County. I think a lot of people just assume that I am from Hawaii, but I'm actually from the Appalachian Mountains. And so it's a very small, small school nestled in the mountains. And you're, so what, Dade County, what was the high school's name? Uh, Dade County High School. Dade County High School. In Georgia. See, I wanted to say Miami. So it's it's not, it's in the middle of Atlanta. Um, a little bit further north, but okay. that's probably our closest big recognizable city. So Goss, a, a German name in Atlanta. How the heck did you guys get to Atlanta? Um, I think it's kind of like all those those stories. It involves uh, the military and a romance on an island. <laughs> <laughs> and so we got relocated, and that's kind of... They make a great romance novel. Uh, yeah, right? it would, actually, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, let's let's get to the subject matter, because it is something that again, can be uncomfortable to talk about, but it's so definitely needed. Uh, COVID has turned all of our lives upside down, especially for our teens. Depression is a very real issue. I think we are, there's been records or or, or at least anecdotal of, of folks saying, you know what, COVID's took its toll on, on the teens. Yes. Your, your thoughts on teen depression in Hawaii, how real is it? I think we have to be concerned because we really held our breath the first year or two of the pandemic wondering what this would look like. And like you said, we're still getting that information in. And it will take another year or two, but we still have to be mindful of the fact that, you know, there was a lot of isolation, separation from peers, difficulty in transitions and rituals. And when I say rituals, really we're talking about things like graduation, what your senior year would look like, what prom was gonna look like. And so some of our teens are really experiencing grief about that loss and about these ideas of what uh, kind of launching into adulthood was gonna look like and how difficult that's turned out to be. And then you just kind of include the fact that they were dealing with that by themselves at home, trying to educate themselves on new platforms with not as much peer support. Um, and now that they're re-entering, we think, oh, we like that'll be better, they'll be able to kind of transition back in, be comfortable, but now they're feeling anxious and stressed and they are struggling with just feeling motivated and having energy. So we have to keep a really close eye on them to make sure they have the support, that they're talking about something that is so new to us. You know, historically speaking, maybe this was something that was really big back in like the early 1900s of the Spanish flu, these things were happening. But for them, this is something new. And for most of us, mm-hmm. we were struggling, we were adults, and we had these coping skills. But we have to just kind of think about, like, put ourselves in their shoes and how much exposure they've had because of the digital era and right. social media, to the, all these different influences, and try to provide as much support as possible. 
When you think about a couple of those senior classes, I mean, they lost everything as far as social yes. uh, experiences of high school. I mean, the, the proms that you spoke about, uh, you know, the high school dances. Uh, I mean, the littlest of things that we took for granted because we experienced it, they missed that. And then you add on, oh, by the way, uh, people around you are dying. Uh, and, and some kupuna died. I mean, we've heard mm -hmm. testimony of, of, of young teens who lost their grandparents during COVID. So, so much going on. Add that social media and the alone, the desperation of feeling alone. It's a lot for any 15, 16 year old to handle at any time of their lives, let alone during a pandemic. I agree. I mean, it's a lot for people to handle who right. are 35 and 45. Right. And we're not in that same position like, to think that, you know, some of us are a little bit more secure, that some of us have like families or jobs that keep us a little bit more rooted. Um, but they are trying to launch into that adulthood and it is really difficult for them all those kind of lost rituals. I remember when I was in school and thinking like every year what your senior year would look like. You really thought that through. And then they got there and there was nothing they could do about those changes. And it's hard for us to understand that. I think we try to look at that bigger picture like it's okay, but you're safe and then things are getting better, but it doesn't take away from the fact that they did lose things. Mm -hmm. And some of them absolutely lost people. You know, this, this uh, subject matter, depression, we're not unique in any manner. But are our teens unique in some ways to what they experience here as opposed to uh, their peers uh, on the U.S. mainland or across the country? I do think the experience is unique. And maybe, you know, it's because I'm, I've been here long enough to be able to enjoy some of the protective factors that are unique to Hawaii, but outside enough of it that, like, I saw it coming in. Like, wow, what a unique experience to grow up in Hawaii, to have that sense of community that's so strong for so many of them. Uh, which is not normally found, I think, in especially like larger cities and in some places in the country, but is still found here where like you can have a program like where you grad and people ask those questions. We're on the mainland. We don't ask those kinds of things. Uh, so community, that sense of aloha and connectedness, that those are protective factors that are so unique. And so our youth are more protected in those ways. But at the same token, they are very geographically isolated. The resources are very limited. They are sometimes from cultures where mental health is stigmatized. Mm -hmm. And we know that people of color do have like social historical trauma. And so some of those things we have to take into account along with the protection. You talked about culture, uh, the Asian culture differently, very uh, close, close-knit, but also very tight-lipped when it comes to how they feel, how they deal with emotions. I saw data, though, Native Hawaiians have the highest depression rate sometimes in our teens. Um, and this is pre-pandemic. Yes. Post-pandemic, who knows what the numbers look like, right? We know that our communities of color, because they're isolated, because there's less resources, because there's history of trauma in many different ways, mm -hmm. and the stigma is very unique sometimes to each group that they do have different needs within the community. Um, those needs typically, as they age, become a little less significant. They're still important, but in the teen years, that's where we see those big numbers and we start to worry about really specific communities that are more marginalized. Um, being aware of that is important because what we know is if you have treatment, if you have intervention that's culturally bound, that is the best outcome. And I do unfortunately think we don't have enough of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. it's it, it's that trusted person that you can go to. It's not necessarily a counselor or, yes. or a pastor or, or your parent for that matter. Sometimes that's the least people that uh, teens trust, but it, you need that one person, right? You need that one person. And if you are lucky enough to have an elder, you're mm -hmm. lucky enough to have a guide, a mentor that has the same similar cultural values as you, the outcome is better. 
You know, I'm, a, I'm an analytics person. I love to look at data. I love to look at numbers. Um, <laughs> I probably talk about numbers too much here at PBS, but um, you know, when it comes to science, when it comes to understanding, it's very important because it's part of trends and anticipating what we need. In 2017, I read a report recently. Uh, this is before pandemic arrived, uh, yes. COVID arrived. One in three Hawaii high school students had a period of sadness or hopelessness. Now, everybody experiences sadness. Let's, let's, let's be clear. But this is like extreme depression. Uh, and I'm sure your numbers are, are, are similar, if not different, but that was pre-pandemic. I can only imagine if that one in three is now three in three. I don't know. The good thing about Hawaii is they actually partake in this study. It's the Youth Risk Behavioral Survey. You hear it referred to a lot as the YRBS. And why that's important without getting like too deep into those like right. number number places is because it's self-reported. And so these are high school students telling us or middle school students telling us this is how I feel. And they know that it's anonymous and they know that that information is going to be reviewed and looked at. And so we know there's a little bit of probably hesitancy, but probably more honesty than if you sat across from them at a table. Mm -hmm. And that's important information to have because it gives us an idea of what their struggles are. And we always say like, the numbers decrease as you get to more unsafe behaviors. So the difference between like, I'm feeling sad, to I'm feeling depressed, till I'm feeling unsafe, those numbers go down. But that means there's a really good place for intervention right at the outset. And so if you have that information, you can start to offer really supportive things like peer-to-peer -peer support, um, building an education around the importance of self-care and resiliency into curriculum. Um, sometimes people will say, well, you know, that's done more in the home. But like you mentioned before, not every home has that. Not every mm -hmm. home is safe. I, w I want to talk about uh, the, the environment of returning to class because our educators are a front line yes. and they see it firsthand. During COVID, unfortunately, our educators were on Zoom with a lot of these students if they even part, you know, participated. Yeah. So that body language that they used to be able to see, the bruises maybe that they saw, that didn't happen. And while some teachers are definitely keen on, on individual students, that relationship changed. And maybe for some students, that was their go-to. Yeah, for some students, going to school is the safe place. It's where they get the meal. It's where they get the support. It's where they have like a place to kind of let out that long breath they hold when they're home and it's not as safe. It's more chaotic. Uh, and it was hard for people to be able to see especially for teachers and staff to be able to see whether or not they were completely safe. Things still happened, still things, you know, were getting reported and we were seeing really more like emergency department appointments where it got to a crisis point and then someone was able to intervene because then they saw it. So the return to classroom really gives us more eyes on the ground, uh, more support in that way, but also just to be aware of the fact that for, you know, two years they were home and that was something that they were going through. And I think that's why we're also seeing some of the difficulty in coming back into the classroom and just moving from that point. Interesting, because even as adults, domestic violence cases rose yes. during COVID. Then when folks went back to work, it even rose higher uh, because the stress levels changed, yeah. all this other uh, chemistry interactions changed. Same with the students. I mean, their stress levels changed when they returned to the classroom. I want to thank you and your team uh, for teaming with PBS Hawaii and our, our Hikino uh, on PBS Hawaii team for a uh, going to be providing some some classes and, and such with, with our teachers because you folks recognize that very important link to, to the child. Absolutely. We want staff and teachers to be comfortable. I think sometimes people feel overwhelmed by, like, if I ask the question and I get the answer I'm most scared of, then what do I do? 
So we always tell them, like, be really familiar with your school policy. If you don't feel the policy supportive, then, like, reach out to someone who works in mental health, who works in suicide prevention, and we can help support making that happen. There's a lot of really great um, people who work within, for example, the Department of Education who you can contact and who can help the schools and the staff get more comfortable. We do have Act 270, um, which is about the staff and the teachers getting trained in suicide prevention to make sure that everyone has that great foundation of knowledge. And that has been in place for several years. Of course, it made it difficult for them to get the training the last two years, but we've gotten a lot of requests ourselves um, at Mental Health America of Hawaii to be able to provide those, and we do. So if people are needing those, they can always reach out. And that's saving lives. That's definitely saving lives. You know, uh, in the business, you, you, there's a lot of acronyms, right? In every business that we, we uh, yes. are involved in, in, in this case, MDE, Major Depressive Episodes. That's kind of like what measures some children. What does that mean, Major Depressive Episodes? And how significant, when does it become a Major Depressive Episode? The difficulty, I think, in looking at it right now, specifically this time frame, is that so many people have more anxiety and depressive symptoms than they did prior to the pandemic. And so people are asking, like, is this normal? Because maybe the teens are grieving or struggling to transition back to school, or maybe their household is still struggling with unemployment and finances. So how do I know when it's an issue versus when this is just a normal emotional response? And what we would say is it's about time frame. If every day for over two weeks you see a youth who is really struggling to do things like their schoolwork, have relationships, they're not eating or they're coming in and they appear very like underslept and that just keeps consistently happening, that's the time to start asking the question like, are you okay? Like what's happening? When we look at our first like major depressive episode, it means that it meets that criteria. That, that it's been a long enough amount of time, consistently enough that the person is struggling with just things like sadness, hopelessness, um, guilt and for some people feeling unsafe and when we start to look at that it's important to get that intervention they need to learn skills they need to understand what's happening so that they can get the support that they need and and not let this persist into adulthood which can be the can be a part of the process is it not unfortunately um, and this always surprises me like when I say it people I say like a guess guess what is the time frame for when someone first experiences significant mental health distress to when they actually go get treatment? And people have all these guesses and they're pretty short term, like a year, sometimes five years. And the actual answer is like 10 years. Wow. So if a child is experiencing, if a teenager is experiencing depressive symptoms at say 17, it could be 27 before they reach out and get that help on average. And you think about all the things that happen from 17 to 27, that's crucial life development. It's part of uh, the teen depression, you know, the, the stresses of obesity, of, you know, of understanding your sexuality. Yes. Um, all, all of these things come into play and just adds to the stress level. Um, like you said, though, there are signs. What are some of the signs? If somebody's listening right now and uh, they have a child that's, that's changing behaviors or sleeping a lot, or, or what, what are some of the signs? I would say to look for... Um especially if they're just verbally telling you that they feel helpless or hopeless, if they're irritable or sad, if they have feelings of like shame or guilt, if they do the things they used to like to do, but they don't enjoy them anymore, and they're telling you that, like, I just don't like to do that anymore, because you're giving them ideas. Like, maybe you can go for a walk, or maybe you can go swimming, you really like that, and they say, well, it doesn't feel good anymore. If they are just really 
exhibiting some depressive symptoms, it's okay to check in even if you're not sure. I think some parents and guardians will defer to maybe this is just normal teenage hormone stuff. And I'd say be conservative, be cautious, especially right now, and just ask like, what's happening? Are you okay? And what do you need? What if you don't have that relationship though? Let alone the trust within the child or, or, or that child already is a recl- you know, very reclusive. How do you break that barrier and, and start even ignite the conversation? If you're an adult um, and you have a, a youth in your life that you're concerned about, it's okay to be that person. We know that just if you have one person, it doesn't matter who it is in your lifetime that cares about you, that is connected to you, your outcomes are better. So if you are privileged to be in a place where you are an adult who interacts with youth, you should ask those questions. You should be that person that they can kind of reach out and talk to. But if you happen to be a youth who, for whatever reason, just doesn't have that kind of support system, you can kind of reach out and get that mental health support. I think a lot of people aren't familiar with some laws that we passed here in Hawaii, where if you are 14 and older, you can get mental health services without having the permission of your parent. You work with providers, they do not send the bills home. It's covered, Um, you don't have to worry about copay for insurance, you just have to find your provider and make sure that they get the paperwork done. And that really allows teens who don't have that support system, who maybe aren't in a safe home to get that care. Uh, Including domestic violence in their own in their own home, whether it be on, upon themselves or even watching mom and dad fight uh, they, and they have nowhere to go. How do, does, do teens know about this uh, opportunity and this service that's there? How do, how do you guys get the uh, word out to, to the teens that this exists? When we go into school systems, we definitely try to share that information so that they know. We hope that when they contact their counselors in the school system, they also let them know the information. I think it's a relatively new law. When I say relatively new, it's kind of like all things in in kind of the legal world or psychology world where new could be five years, new could be 10 years, but in the last couple of years, they've really been firming that up to make sure that the teens are safe, that the bills will not go home. Um, And so we're still trying to spread that information. So sharing it in a place like this, this platform and podcast, uh, helps get that word out for them. It is, because this is a a vehicle that they listen to. Uh, I'll I'll be very honest, uh, during our reflections on Hiki No, uh, where where the students actually turned the cameras on themselves, uh, turned out to be such a blessing in disguise because it gave the students the voice that they always wanted to have, right? And not just a school assignment. But this was actually their opportunity to tell their own story. And for some, it was uncomfortable. For others, they found this as a great way to heal. And Mental Health America Hawaii recognized their good work. And now we're continuing with that process because it's such a healing tool. Uh, That's huge. I mean, there's some good things that came out of COVID. I think it strengthened us in so many ways as a community, as a state, as, as even human beings. But it also provided new ways to cope with different challenges. I agree and I think that there's kind of that old adage that children or teens are resilient, they'll bounce back. That's the thing that I always hear people say, they'll bounce back. But I always like to point out that how they bounce is the most important part. Like are they bouncing back into the place where they're functional or are they just bouncing back and surviving? Like there's a huge difference between surviving and thriving. And if we don't have a platform for their voice, if we don't know their unique experience because it is so unique, um, I was reading some research where they were talking about how different it is for the Gen Zs because they are our first true digital age, that they are more impacted by news with things like mass shootings and politics than any other generation. Um, And spending time on the social media daily impacts their feeling of strong identity or Mm -hmm. um, 
even feeling safe sometimes. Or even no knowledge of current events. I mean, yes. social media has changed, obviously, how we all consume our news. But just talking to some of our young Hikino alumni, you know, talking about platforms that they listen to, they even said it straight in our face on a peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, talk story. We just wanted to learn more. How can we get your attention? How can we hear, you let us hear the PBS Hawaii message. And they said, let us talk, right? Give us a voice, literally. I mean, I literally, Dr. Gus, no offense, I should have a child <laughs> across the street. No, right from I agree. Uh, yeah. Because they want that, you know, and necessarily, they don't want to hear from adults. But at the same time, they are welcoming the fact that we're meeting them in their space. And that's, that's, a, that's, that's a positive step forward. Yeah, I think that you know, it, it would be amazing to be able to have a youth voice sit across from the table and is absolutely crucial and necessary. Because while I come in with, with the information and statistics, I'm not coming in with my own experience and my own kind of story of my life in those time frames. And looking at what they're experiencing, how different it is than my life and how I grew up and, and the pressures that I experienced, um, it makes me an outsider to that story. And I don't think it's fair to be the representative for a group that I'm not also a member of. Well, nor am I, trust yeah. me. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was in the world where there was no even pagers yet, let alone right. cell phones. Yeah. Social media, what is that? I mean, MySpace didn't even exist when I was young. Now it's like, what? You know, I mean, I typed on regular typewriters with two fingers. Um, you know, again, this is all healthy, and, and, and maybe it's time for even adults to understand that, you know, yes. um, that if we really want to make a difference in people's lives is that we have to change our behaviors. I mean, growing up, my dad used to tell me, cowboy up, man up. Mm -hmm. uh, or when you go to the dinner table, you're to be seen and not heard. Yes. Dear God, I mean, that's just not healthy, right? And, and I lived like that for all my, my young life, and... That's kind of what I used to say to my kids. And then finally I said, that's not right. They should be heard. <laughs> if you're going to have at the dinner table if, as a family supper, then let's all talk. Not mm -hmm. just have the child sit there and listen to, to adult life. I mean, it's not real. I agree. And I think that, you know, so many of us grew up in different ways of, of parenting that was normal. That was the norm for that, yeah. for that kind of time period. I always laugh and talk about all the things that, like, they thought was totally fine when I was young, like, I'll see you when the sun goes down. No supervision, right? And you're like, what? <laughs> um, that would never happen this day and Go this play day on the time. freeway. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> it was just so different then. Um, and we have to take those things into account because that affects how we grow up, the values that we have, how we look at the world, and the Generation Z now, that is not their experience, and that is not how they see the world. The world to them definitely looks more unsafe. We thought that the scary thing was the, you know, the stranger in a van, and now they're realizing it's the stranger in large public areas. It's a completely different way of orienting to the world, and we have to start to understand their perspective more. Or that stranger that just texts me, and I don't know who that is, and yes. maybe that's yes. a predator. I could go, we, we could talk about this for, for a very long time. I appreciate you at least sharing some of this. What's the, certainly not the solution, but what good things can we talk about when it comes to teen depression in Hawaii? The thing, the silver lining for me has been that it's the awareness. It's the awareness that has changed over the last two years where I think two and a half years ago, you wouldn't have talked at work about how you were struggling. You would have, you know, as you said, you know, suck it up, man it up. 
um, we wouldn't have really taken teens seriously when they talked about their mental health unless it was a crisis. But now we're looking at it and understanding more the importance of mental health, how it's impacted by all these different things that have some of pre-existing, they were pre-existing the pandemic. So the silver lining is the awareness and I think now is the point where we have to start doing the intervention. Mm -hmm. Celebrities stepping forward help, Olympians stepping forward yes. help, all that whole, pri whole profile mental health discussions help, but at the end we still need to get involved, right? And ask questions and be there. Dr. Goss, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate it. Appreciate the great work that you and your team do. And I really do deeply appreciate the relationship that PBS Hawaii has with Mental Health America Hawaii. All right, Mala Nui for joining us, folks. Thanks for staying with us. Join us next week. Hey, if you see something, say something, you know, and get involved. Our, our keiki deserve it, you know, as, as the rest of the, the community. All right, join us next week. Another episode of What School You Went. Until next time, ahui ho. What School You Went is a PBS Hawaii production. Music by Taimane Gardner. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell your friends. You can find us on pbshawaii.org and everywhere you get your podcasts.